How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, But God is in His Heaven, a pastoral response to conspiracy theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Everyone, everyone around is What is this costume you have on? This is my uniform. Everyone so near. I led the French victory at Toulon. What is your name? Napoleon. As the course of my life just changed. Napoleon. destined for greatness. But those in power will only see me as a sword. I suggest you take the throne as a king. Shall we vote? This vermin has held the world hostage egotism and his lack of simple good manners. That is a trailer for the movie Napoleon. There are few historical figures as fascinating and as complicated as Napoleon Bonaparte, and he stands at a point in history that is also fascinating and extremely complicated. How do you get it on film? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to review the movie Napoleon, Pastor Ted Geese. He has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He's pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. He teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. Ted, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. If nothing else, was this historical biopic a welcome break from the endless parade of superhero movies? Yes, I uh, really enjoyed that aspect of this film. It's an R-rated film, so, you know, hey, everybody. In, in Canada, it's rated 14 It's not a kid's movie. Uh, it's not a movie made for teenagers or whatever. In fact, there were a couple of young kids in the theater, even still. Boy, were they bored. And they got up like two or three times and left and came back. And I don't know who dragged them there, but it was not a movie for them. So, yeah, no, that was that was a nice aspect of it. And, of course... Right now, I mean, I don't know about you guys in the States, but in Canada, our inflation is terrible. So how often are you going to go see things? And, you know, what are you going to see? And if you're really busy and you got the Christmas season coming, Advent's just getting going, you're going to pick things. And the Marvels was in the theaters also as an option and just not interested in that. So Ridley Scott, director of uh, Napoleon here, great. So, yeah, I was... uh, Happy that I got to see a movie made for a mature adult audience. I had the impression, at least, that it was not doing great with the critics. I'm just looking at Rotten Tomatoes, and it's got both the audience score and the tomato meter are at about 60%, which is not fantastic. Well, listen, he's 85 years old. Apparently, he shot the whole thing, and like, the actual shooting schedule was like... 62 days it's like it's it's kind of a minor miracle to be able to pull something like this off 
even Stanley Kubrick had wanted to do a Napoleon film, but wasn't able to do it. It was too gigantic a project. He spent 10 years preparing for it, couldn't get financing for it. In the end, he made Barry Lyndon instead. He was able to use some of his research for that. So this is like Ridley Scott. I don't know. What would you say his top five films are? Like um, Alien, Blade Runner, probably Thelma and Louise and Black Hawk Down, probably. Yeah, I mean, like, and then on top of that, he's got Gladiator and G.I. Jane and Kingdom of Heaven, and he's made all of these movies. And, and Martian was a fantastic Yeah, movie. well, the Martian we talked about. We talked about Exodus, Gods and Kings. We talked about uh, Prometheus and Alien Covenant. We talked about these movies. Those were kind of his revisiting of the alien stuff. The guy has made a lot of movies, so... Some of those aren't that great, but, you know, like, this is probably not in his top five, but he's still making quality films. And if you are tired of all of that kind of Marvel, DC, comic book, superhero stuff right now, then, you know, this is going to be more in your your wheelhouse, let's say, as, as a film goer. How do you tell the story of a historical figure and a historical circumstance post- French Revolution. How do you tell that with proper context? It's a big historical, right? So essentially what you get is this post-revolutionary kind of brutal rise and fall of Napoleon Bonaparte. And then also in the mix of all of it, and really kind of maybe more the important part of the film in some ways, is his complex kind of strange relationship with Josephine, who is a minor French aristocrat. Now, here's the deal. Napoleon himself was kind of a minor French aristocrat. We could probably talk about that later. But at any rate, you you have to kind of tell that. And there's so much to tell. It's not like they just said, we're only going to tell the story of the Battle of Waterloo. There's a great film that, that does do that. It's, I don't know, from 1970 or something and has Christopher Plummer in it. And at, at any rate, that was kind of a fun movie. But that just dealt with the Battle of Waterloo. So here Ridley Scott is doing kind of like this huge long chunk of his life leading right up to Napoleon's death. So yeah, you, you have a lot of things you have to catch and hit along the way. And he hits a lot of it. Like I kind of felt like I knew some things about Napoleon. Apparently I knew more things about Napoleon that I knew that I knew about Napoleon. So I'm like, Oh yeah, there's that. And Oh yeah, there's that. And Oh yeah, there's that. Oh yeah, there's that. So you, as you're watching it, it does kind of speed along, even though it's two and a half hours long because they keep having to get from the one thing to the next thing to the next thing in sequential order. This isn't the kind of movie where they do flashbacks. It is actually running in a chronological order of things, which is kind of nice. The, another convention that you get in these biopics that they don't do is they don't give you like, here's a thing from his childhood. And this thing from his childhood explains why he is the way he is. Joaquin Phoenix plays Napoleon. And that whole Napoleon complex kind of thing, although Napoleon was of average height, to make fun of him in newspapers and things, they made him tinier than he actually was. Um, so people got the impression that he was a little man kind of a deal. But all of his weird idiosyncratic stuff where he's like really competent and brash and and like in control of things when it comes to the battlefield, but in private, he's this weird little guy. All of that is peppered throughout this entire film. Does it depict his, what is legendary, military prowess? 
Oh yeah, and it actually like like his first kind of military victory where he takes this port city that they are including in this film. You know, like that is all kind of really well done and it's it's very interesting. Like some of the the battle scenes again I'd mentioned that it's an R-rated film. There's some kind of grisly images and it's very violent at moments and there's some with CGI, you can do things, you know, like years ago, you'd see movies and it would say no animals were harmed in the making of this picture. And but here with CGI, you can have like a horse getting hit by a cannonball, like things like that, that are quite grim. So this is not going to be for everyone, certainly. But yeah, they show that. And in fact, there are parts of this that, you know, apart from that Waterloo film that I'd mentioned um, that come out in early, like 1970 or something like that you almost never see some of the things that they show in this movie. So when they finally get to the Battle of Waterloo in this film, they show these kind of formations that the soldiers put themselves in when they're going to repel a cavalry attack. And it's quite the thing. It's like stuff you mostly would only see in illustrations in a history book or something. So there's a lot of really kind of interesting things when they do that. And his uh, military prowess when it comes to all of that is is shown. Although, I mean, they do kind of engrandize things a bit because, like, as far as I can tell, and I, I dug around a little bit, he never led a cavalry charge himself. So he's, like, usually Napoleon's in the background directing traffic in terms of, like, making the military things happen. He's not necessarily on the front lines fighting hand-to-hand or on the back of the horse right in the fray. So here, Ridley Scott's doing that because it's this kind of a film. And he's been kind of criticized a little bit about not having certain things being 100% historically accurate. Where does the story start and where does it end? Well, it starts pretty much with the beheading of by guillotine of Marie Antoinette, just like there's some starting kind of revolutionary related things going on, French revolutionary stuff. And then it goes like just follows his, him and his brother kind of connected to some things in, in the government with Robespierre. And you sort of start to have him helping defeat. It's a port city and that's important because the British have ships there. And that's kind of his meteoric rise is through stopping the, the British at that spot. And then they just kind of, have him go off to uh, Egypt and then him becoming the emperor and all of these kinds of things along the way, right to the Battle of Waterloo. And then also his exiles, uh, the twice that he was exiled and his death, all of that stuff is in there. And then along the way is his life with um, Josephine, who's, she's a kind of a widower because her husband was decapitated by the guillotine and she already had this checkered, past and they kind of have this weird love-hate relationship with each other where they're their best friends but they're frenemies and they dominate each other but they're submissive to each other and it's just a very strange kind of relationship that they have and that's that goes through the whole film as well including her death how is Joaquin Phoenix in the lead He's really good. I mean, I, I think that if you could time travel his performance as the emperor from Gladiator to now in this film, he would actually probably be about the right age for Napoleon. But there is sort of shades of that same performance in this. He does a really great job. Joaquin Phoenix is a peculiar individual in his own life. Him and his brother River Phoenix 
uh, had been involved in kind of a cult in their growing up childhood. And because of kind of pressures of all of that, they were good actors because they had to be in some ways. Joaquin Phoenix has had a, just a variety of different roles. I remember him in M. Night, M. Night Shyamalan's uh, Signs. I really appreciated his role in that. He's had just a lot of a lot of really great performances, and this is a very good one. And he he kind of comes at it in um, like Napoleon is a strange guy, and he has these strange idiosyncratic things in it, and it's stuff that's of the time, I guess. But you know, like even he makes like horse noises when he's interested in in having amorous relations with his wife, which is weird. And he somehow sells that in the course of the film. <laughs> Dear listener, if you're thinking to yourself, what would I even get myself into if I saw this movie? There are some strange things in there. But he does a believable job with all of it. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. We're reviewing the movie Napoleon. Pastor Geese teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled The Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. We'll find out what he thinks the highlights of this film are next. You're personally invited to join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in celebrating the theme, Just As I Am, January 14th through the 20th during Life Week 2024. Each theme day will explore a distinct aspect of life ministry through local activities, online educational events, interviews, and more. Find out more at lutheransforlife.org. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org. Husband, wife, daughter, son, grandchildren, godchildren, pastor, the kids at church, basically everyone of your Christian loved ones is catered for at Ad Crucem. We are the place to go for all your Christmas purchases. Stock up on our amazing Christmas cards, Christmons, Christmas ornaments, unique Christian jewellery, springly cookie moulds, gifts and much more. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Educating a new generation of Lutherans. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Martin Luther preached the dedication for the Torgau Church, he asserted, that nothing else happened in this house but that our dear Lord speak to us and we respond in prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Issues Etc. guest Dr. John Pless. The same could be said of Concordia Theological Seminary. This is a place where our Lord speaks to us through his word and we respond in joyful and thankful confession. We therefore invite you to visit our campus where the word of Christ dwells among us richly. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming servants in Jesus Christ to teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. ctsfw.edu or 1-800-481-2155.
God is here teaching us, just do what I've given you to do. Do what you're supposed to do in your vocation. The state will be the state, but you will be faithful. And when you can right or wrong, work at it with everything you've got to serve and protect your neighbors, even when they cannot perceive the good. That's a little bit from the Issues Etc., a book of the month, Faith That Shines in the Culture, by Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. You'll find this book at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, and ask for Faith That Shines in the Culture. We're reviewing the movie Napoleon. Pastor Ted Geese is our guest. Ted, we will get to your pastoral concerns about the film in a minute, but what would you say are the highlights of this two-and-a-half-hour film? Some of the highlights, I would say, like certainly Joaquin Phoenix is really great. Vanessa Kirby as Josephine is really, really good. People might know her as playing Princess Margaret in the first couple seasons of The Crown. She's also been in the, um, the recent Mission Impossible movies with Tom Cruise playing a character called the White Widow. She really sparkles. And like it, the, the thing is, is that you've got like Joaquin Phoenix also, she's playing off of him. She steals a lot of the scenes that she's in. She's a very interesting actress, and she's doing a great job here. Another one that's kind of really interesting highlight for me is here you are watching this movie, and you know things are happening chronologically, and certain individuals aren't going to show up until a certain point along the way. And all of a sudden, there's Rupert Everett, and he's playing Wellington, the British general who's going to be like fighting against Napoleon at Waterloo. And Rupert Everett, like I remember the first time I really ever noticed him in a movie was him playing Julia Roberts' kind of like sassy gay friend in My Best Friend's Wedding from 1997. So all of a sudden you see him as Wellington in this and it's bizarre. But, you know, he does actually look like Wellington because if you go look up a picture of Wellington, that's what he looks like. It's kind of a strange thing that they, they really cast somebody who looks the part. And he's just all bitterness and very in, interesting individual, though. He, they really pull that off really nicely. So that's kind of a, a highlight of the film. So you had mentioned historical accuracy. And neither of us are professional historians, but does it get in the way of the storytelling? I didn't think it did. I mean, like, I, I looked into it a little bit, and I'd mentioned that I did. And there are a couple things that people had mentioned. And Ridley Scott himself, when pushed on this recently, he just said, you know, get a life. And he said that, famously, he said, the French don't even like themselves. Like, how would you expect them to, something to the effect of, how would you expect them to like this? But this is one of these weird things you get in these kinds of films. People don't all have the, the proper accents. Some guys do sound Russian who are playing Russian. Other ones don't. There's lots of British accents for people who are French. And so that's all kind of a, I didn't find it that distracting myself. I I remember years ago there was a, I think it was BBC or, I don't know, one of these British companies did a show called McGray, and it was set in Paris. Rowan Atkinson from Mr. Bean was playing this French detective, and everybody had a British accent. And I found the first episode of that was very distracting. This, I didn't find it nearly as distracting. But that's one of the things in here. There's things like Napoleon being at Marie Antoinette's beheading. So that didn't happen. He wasn't there when she went to the guillotine. That's kind of a thing that, that, that people don't necessarily like about this. She had all of this hair. She probably had cropped short hair. Like that's what history says. That's because of lice and fleas and whatever else. They had lots of wigs, but they kept their hair short because of insects and things like, even for the aristocracy, right? So th- this is like some little things like this 
also like Napoleon's troops firing a cannon at the pyramids in uh, Egypt. Uh, Apparently none of that kind of stuff ever happened. These are the kinds of things people are pointing out. And listen, you don't even have to have that stuff in there. It would still be a perfectly good movie without them shooting at the, the, the pyramids. One thing that I had mentioned was this uh, thing where Napoleon himself was had been actually kind of a minor aristocrat um, himself along the way. And they, they don't get into that in this film at all. Like they do present Josephine in that way, but not him. So historically, Napoleon's father was an aristocrat. They were from a line of Tuscan nobles. And he grew up on the island of Corsica. And they mention that from the film that he's from Corsica. But they don't mention that he grew up in the palatial ancestral family home on Corsica, right? And that his father had been a representative to Louis the the Sixteenth's court. So when Louis the Sixteenth was the the French king during the French Revolution, and his wife was Marie Antoinette. So this stuff they don't they don't mention that. They just kind of start the story as the revolution is underway, and then they show him kind of rising to the top. Another thing, too, is that they have a, an actual meeting between Duke Wellington and Napoleon, and that never actually happened. But it's a contrivance for the film, and it happens near the end of the film after the defeat at Waterloo. And it's a meeting on a British ship. So one of the things in the movie people have commented on, you know, he says something about, you know, the, the British, like to a British ambassador, you think you're so great because you have boats. And that was something that he had never said to a British ambassador. He'd said things similar to this in his own life separately, but not to a British ambassador. Well, here now, Ridley Scott has him meeting Duke Wellington on this British ship. And that never happened. So they have this little conversation. When he's sitting there, he's basically holding, like Napoleon's holding court, having breakfast. And all these little young midshipmen boys are all around him and he's chatting with them. And he says, you know, I'm first to admit when I make a mistake, I simply never do. And they're just enthralled by Napoleon and the Duke of Wellington shows up, kicks all of those kids out and then sits down and has a conversation with Napoleon. That never happened. And then the weird part with that is, is that if, okay, you're making something out of whole hog that like, like whole cloth that never happened. And I'm sitting there looking at this and the room that they're doing it in has this black and white checkered floor. Instantly, a bunch of things in the film just kind of click in my head. And I think to myself, that's a symbol of Freemasonry. This is a scene that just did not happen. It's not like that was the actual ship and they really did have a meeting and they, that, that floor was actually there and it's just being historically accurate or something. It, 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 this is a completely contrived meeting that happens between these two men and that's kind of a bizarre little little thing so you have things that aren't there that should be there things that are there that shouldn't be there and that black and white floor just jumped out at me i have this uh, 1912 masonic encyclopedia and it says in there about that kind of flooring it says the black and white stones of the mosaic pavement that's what they call it the checkerboard pattern have readily in a appropriately been interpreted as symbols of the good and evil of human life. So here are these two guys that are meeting with each other. And when you dig into like, just even going to like Freemason related sources online, you can find where they talk about how the whole idea of this flooring 
is that the individual needs to aspire to be the master of his fate and captain of his soul, walking upon these opposites in the sense of transcending and dominating them, trampling upon the lower sensual nature and keeping it beneath his feet in subjugation and control. So there's this idea that, you know, they must rise above the motley good and evil and be superior and indifferent to the ups and downs of fortune. This is the kind of stuff you find when talking about it, the kind of attractions and fears that govern ordinary men's lives. And this is where, like, all of this idea of divine providence and when providence not in like the christian idea of providence but like providence like being like the neoclassical digging back into like the greco-roman ideas of providence kind of stuff all showing up in this film and that scene to me was just like the little key unlocking what was going on with the rest of it because as soon as you picked up on that then the way that napoleon is presented talking about fate and destiny and all of these kinds of things over and over again through the film, that that's kind of a lens through which this is being presented, if you can see it. I'm pretty sure that that, that is actually part of what this is all driving at here in this film. The scene that I would find most interesting is his self-coronation scene. How is that depicted? Yeah, I mean, he says... With that scene, he there's this quote, and I didn't look up the history of that particular quote, but he says something to the effect of, I found the crown of France in the gutter. I picked it up with the tip of my sword and cleaned it and placed it atop my own head. So you have there him crowning himself. And I guess if we stop and think about like the third commandment. So in the third commandment, you shall sanctify the holy day. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. At no point in this movie do you see Napoleon going to church. At no point do you see, like, th- this is a, you know, when Josephine dies, they talk about her receiving the last sacrament, which would be extreme unction in the Roman Catholic end of things, because the revolution also upset all of the Roman Catholic stuff in France. But the church is involved in his coronation. So you do have like Italian clergy, I guess it would have been one of the popes there to do the coronation, and he just does it himself. And anybody who recently watched like the coronation of King Charles, he doesn't crown himself. So this is kind of a famous historical moment, and they have that in this film. So again, this idea of him transcending and being above everything else, him over and above good and evil, over and above the church, over and above whatever else. That's all kind of part of this, uh, that particular moment being included in this film. We will get some pastoral concerns about the film Napoleon from Pastor Ted Geese when we come back. week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our study of the book of beginnings, Genesis, with descendants of Ham, descendants of Shem, Tower of Babel, more on Shem, and Terah's family. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. 
The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Equipping the priesthood of all believers, you're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press's award-winning curriculum is used by homeschoolers all over the world. Their classical Christian education materials provide everything you need for kindergarten through 12th grade, including books, guides, lesson plans, and instructional videos. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Volker. We're reviewing the movie Napoleon with Pastor Ted Geese. He has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He's pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. And he teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. If you enjoy our movie reviews with Pastor Geese, please make a year-end donation to Issues Etc. For a year-end contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you a recording of 15 Christmas and Epiphany hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir and our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, Answering Arguments Against Christianity. You can make a secure online gift at issuesetc.org. You can also donate by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois 62234. Thanks for listening, and thanks for including the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. in your year-end giving. Ted, let's talk about your pastoral concerns. Where would you begin? If you're watching the film... I just gave some examples of things kind of connected to the third commandment, which would be, you know, the first table of the Ten Commandments. These are all connected to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like our relationship to God. And, you know, there are some moments in there where Christ's name is taken in vain, one notable one. Um, There's also some, the idea of being this emperor above everything else, you know, like there's times where he's, ingrandized, let's say. So that's a, that's a first commandment kind of related issue. But then really when you think about the rest of the film, if you're watching it and you think about the Ten Commandments as you're watching it, certain things are going to start to jump out at you. So like one thing is clearly the Sixth Commandment related stuff. You shall not commit adultery. So the Catechism says we should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. And this is not the relationship that Napoleon and Josephine have. They are not working to fulfill the sixth commandment. That is clearly the case throughout this. And in fact, at the very beginning, 
she says, I've got this past. He knows that she had taken lovers in the past. And then, of course, that also happens during the course of their life together. And, you know, because he becomes emperor and she empress and they're not able to have children, he ends up having to divorce her because he wants to get an heir. So this is where, you know, it kind of starts to muddle into the fourth commandment related stuff too. But before we get there, the film also, if you're watching it, there's all sorts of rumors and gossip and stuff in newspapers, kind of like the TMZ of the day, talking about their marital life and lovers and things going on. And that kind of gets into the eighth commandment. People are not putting the best construction on everything and everything is not being explained in the kindest way, even between each other as a couple. So you see that. So that's something, if you're going to sit down and watch the film, kind of keep that in mind as you're watching. And thinking about the fourth commandment with this film, because we're dealing with like an emperor and an empress and all of that kind of stuff. There's all of the government related things. We talked about the coronation. There's all these things about the warfare. It's like, should all of these battles have been happening in the first place? At the very end of the film, they give kind of a, a list of how many people died connected to all these battles that he was in, like over 60 battles. But the kind of really interesting part is Napoleon's mother eventually shows up. And Napoleon's mother, he wants to honor his mother, but his mother is not... She has ideas that are not good ideas because they're not able to conceive a child and they, they don't have modern ways of deciphering why that is. She comes up with this idea that he should sleep with this 18-year-old girl and see if he can get her pregnant because if he could get her pregnant, then it's not him. It's her. Like it's Josephine. It's not Napoleon. So he honors his mother by going and doing this thing that actually breaks the sixth commandment. So a question of how do you honor your parents if your parents are not honorable is something that you could ruminate on connected to this film as well. So whenever anybody's watching any of these kinds of films, I would always, as people have heard over and over again, encourage them to look at them through the lens of the Ten Commandments, because you're going to find all sorts of very interesting things to consider and think about and contemplate in the course of watching a film like this. So you said at the beginning that this is not a film for children and not even a film for teenagers because it's probably going to bore them to tears. What are your further thoughts on that? It just doesn't have like the kind of ratio, like explosion to fast-paced running, jumping, ex punching, etc. Like there's stretches where it's conversations and there's things going on like that. And there's a little bit of pacing issues. Apparently there's a four hour version of this that's going to be made available on Apple television later. But when I think about it, like, I mean, like there's, there's definitely other things that people might be interested in checking out. If this wasn't your cup of tea, but you, maybe you're still interested in that kind of like period of time or those, those things, maybe go back and watch. There's a TV program called Sharp that had Sean Bean, this character, Richard Sharp. It was based on Bernard Cornwall books, started in 1993. They're kind of like hour and a half made for television films, but they're set in the Napoleonic era from a British point of view. Also has the kind of like rise up from the lower ranks up to the upper ranks, kind of a storyline going on in it. That might be interesting to people. Maybe that'd be more interesting to some you know younger people interested in watching this kind of stuff. For the adult audience, Barry Lyndon, like Barry Lyndon by Stanley Kubrick, who I mentioned before, 
making this film. It had Ryan O'Neill in it based on this William Thackeray book, The Luck of Barry Lyndon. That's a phenomenal movie. And as I watched this movie, I was like, this makes me want to watch Barry Lyndon again. And that's actually what I did on my day off on Monday as I spent some time watching Barry Lyndon and it's superb. So these are some things like I just, just watching the film, it's like, it's really good for what it is. It's great right now for what it is compared to other things that are out. But there are, even in this kind of area of historical drama from those time periods, there are things that maybe might be even a cut above this in some ways for different reasons. And interestingly, he himself, like Ridley Scott, the first film he made wasn't Alien. It was a movie called The Duelist with Keith Carradine and Harvey Keitel and Albert Finney. And it's a shorter film than this. And he didn't obviously have the budget that he has now available to him. But it's set at that same Napoleonic era, that time period, about two men who, over a small thing, end up in this lifelong kind of tumultuous vendetta against each other. Like they have this terrible grudge with each other and it drives the plot of the film. So if some of these things are not exactly to the liking of some audience members, there are going to be other things out there that'll be, if you're interested in the time period or the general topics, there's going to be other things that'll be interesting. Finally, who is the audience for this film? Ridley Scott is the audience for this film. I, like, I, I think that he just, at this point in his life, he's making what he wants to make. I don't know if you remember when we were talking about Exodus, Gods and Kings, I was looking at interviews and stuff that he'd done and he had talked about if this movie was going to do well, if it was going to be well received, that he would do a, a movie about King David because he was super interested in doing a King David movie. But then Exodus, Gods and Kings was not well received and people gave him a bunch of hassle about it. So he's like, well, forget that nonsense. And he went off and made another alien film. So like Ridley Scott doesn't have to prove anything to anybody. And I think he's at a point now where he's just interested in making the projects he's interested in making. And I mean, if people want to be along for the ride, then they get to be along for the ride. That seems to be the case. And like, I don't know, maybe he's a Freemason. I've got no idea. Like maybe he's got a, a, another kind of audience in mind for it. The audience would be adults and anybody who is kind of interested in history. And of course, like, like that Freemason angle, like that period of time, the 19th century, that was a big time for that kind of stuff. So anyways, I just suspect that there's some more to do with that in this film, just from that one particular scene and from some of the other things that crop up along the way. I think that those are your audiences. I, like Clearly, being an R-rated film, it's not going to be for kids or young teens or anybody like that. Pastor Ted Geese has a bachelor's degree in fine arts. He is pastor of Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. He teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled a Lutheran approach to art, media, and film. You'll find a link to his movie reviews at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Ted, thanks. Thank you. When we come back, we'll talk about the advantages of the historic liturgy with Dr. John Bombaro. He's authored a column titled Liturgical Top Ten.
How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. Lutheracademy.com. Rejoice, O Pilgrim Throng. Receive our Lord's gifts of His Word and Sacraments at Pilgrim Lutheran Church in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. Join us for Sunday School and Bible Study at 8.30 a.m., followed by Divine Service at 9.30, with further opportunities for worship, Bible study, and fellowship throughout the week. Our Pilgrim Child Development Center cares for children from infants to 3K. For more information, visit pilgrimtosa.org. That's P-I-L-G-R-I-M-T-O-S-A dot O-R-G. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Truth, beauty, goodness. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Advent Lutheran, Zionsville, Indiana. Concordia Lutheran, Sykeston, Missouri, Grace Lutheran, Auburn, Michigan, Emmanuel Lutheran, Everett, Washington, Messiah Lutheran, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Our Savior Lutheran, Ridgecrest, California, Redeemer Lutheran, Los Alamos, New Mexico, St. John Lutheran, New Berlin, Illinois, St. Paul Lutheran, Montevideo, Minnesota, Trinity Lutheran, Okmulgee, Oklahoma, and Zion Lutheran, St. Labore, Nebraska. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal.